I'm Annie Apple, and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising April. It's the most intimate sports-related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burrow, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app. You are listening to a Live Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Capital Calculus, the show which focuses on the intersection of politics and economics. In democracies like India, there's always a fierce contest for political power. The social capital so earned is deployed in defining government spending priorities and public policy. So it is fair to say that in a democracy, all policy is politics, and policy moves should therefore be viewed through the prism of politics. Every week, this show will explore this intersection of politics and economics to try and give you a fresh perspective on the week that was. I am your host, Anil Padmanabh. Last week, Prime Minister Narendra Modi made a sales pitch for India at a global summit, addressing the London-based India Global Week. The PM listed the country's record in improving the ease of doing business as one of the pluses. The PM is both right and wrong. He is right in claiming India has improved vastly. The country has jumped over 60 spots to be ranked 63rd in the World Bank's ease of doing business rankings. No mean feat. But what the PM omitted to say was that it is still very much a work in progress. Why do I say so? Even now, companies operating in India have to adhere to nearly 69,000 plus compliances and nearly 7,000 annual filings and intimations. Worse, they sometimes change eight times a day. And wait, many of these violations are criminal offences. A bounce check, for example, is a criminal offence. The punishment is in some cases on par with heinous crimes, giving an entirely new spin to the idea of crime and punishment. Here's a sample from the same World Bank Index to put the challenge in perspective. India is ranked 123rd out of 190 countries for the ease of setting up a company. If you thought running a company in this country was tough, then setting up one is worse. The political economy of this trade jacket is very simple. It provides the perfect ecosystem to breed corruption and erode competitiveness. To understand the problem and explore solutions, I spoke to Manish Sabarwal. As a first-generation entrepreneur and chairman of Team Lease Services, Manish has first-hand experience of the ease of doing business. He is also a tireless champion of change, hence a good go-to person. I began by asking him about the challenge of what we call red tape and what Manish calls regulatory cholesterol. For people like us, we have to have 150 guys in regulatory affairs whose only job is taking care of this um, regulatory cholesterol. And more importantly, this cholesterol compounds as you increase in size, as you increase in headcount, as you increase in number of geographic locations. So basically, while no single MSME may be subject to the torture that you are, We are basically creating an enemy of scale. Without economies of scale, 
Indian business can never hope to be globally competitive. How did we lose the plot? The problem with digitization of government is it has usually meant paving the cow path. That means you, without re-engineering the the process, you just digitize or mechanize an existing manual process. So I think that while MCA has been very far ahead in saying agile or other kinds of forms which consolidated forms, I think that the reality is that the human capital at the bottom of the pyramid, either in IT projects or in process re-engineering in government, hasn't been applied. And it's time for us to sort of think about rationalizing, simplifying, and digitizing these compliances. You know, these are flick of pen reforms. See, many reforms are institutional reforms. Some reforms are capacity building reforms. They take three years. But ease of doing business reform are flick of pen reforms, which in 90 days, you could make India a more fertile habitat for formal job creation. So why is it that this government is unable to push this flick of pen reforms? See, I think that Basically, we if you take a ground-up look at government, we have 57 ministries. Japan only has eight, you know, um, UK only has 22, and US only have 14. So 57 ministries. We have 250 people with the rank of Secretary to Government of India in Delhi. So even if one ministry or one secretary chooses to sort of say that I want to make life simple for each other, in Delhi, it has become anybody can say no and nobody can say yes. So I would say that the challenge with government now is that actually the binding constraint for ease of doing business is civil service reform. How did we get it so wrong? And why has it taken so long to figure out the problem? I asked Manish whether it was a problem of mindset reset. I think it's a direct line you can draw from the 1955 Avadi resolution. When we kneecapped entrepreneurs, when we put public sectors at the height of things, when we kneecapped capital markets, and we felt that the private sector could not be trusted, or even Nehru said it, he told J.R.D. Tata that I think profit is a bad word. So I think there's a direct line from that resolution to the civil service mentality. So I'd say that getting this done requires political will of the kind that we have displayed in IBC or GST or, or Article 370 to say that, you know, if we want to attract China factory refugees, if we don't want migrants to head home in a crisis, if we want MSMEs to thrive, we have to get rid of this regulatory cholesterol and we have to set a date for it. Part of the problem is in the economic reforms undertaken over the last three decades. They were pro-business and not pro-market. One reinforces the power of discretion and the other a rules-based regime. The choice is clear, but yet we have not figured this out. I think moving from deals to rules is key for India to sort of raise its productivity, right? I mean, China was very lucky. It got a 30-year super cycle of global growth, global openness to trade, global deconstruction of supply chains. India's opening balance is economic complexity. We make everything and do everything. But this economic complexity doesn't translate to productivity because primarily the eighth wonder of the world, which is competition, is not recognized as, I mean, we had 92, 87 banks in 1924. We had 95 banks in 19, 
47, we have 95 banks today. We should have 150 banks. I mean, I think that competition in every area of the economy is really the only way we will recognize that pro-business is, it, it shouldn't, we shouldn't try and save companies which are dying. The role of the government is not to set things on fire. It is to create the conditions for spontaneous combustion. And this doesn't mean that the government should be absent. Otherwise, Swat Valley in, and, or Waziristan in Pakistan and Afghanistan would be hotbeds of entrepreneurial activity, right? The absence of a state is not we, what we ask for. We just ask for a more focused state. We can't substitute for the state. So do more in primary education, do more in primary health, do more in law and order. But let the entrepreneurial spirit of 63 million enterprises, the 20 million diaspora, who really can, you know, come up with a new trust with destiny thrive. So regulatory cholesterol is a key part of that transformation. And actually, regulatory cholesterol benefits the incumbents over the insurgents. <laughs> because people, when you grow large, people like me who was an insurgent, my, I'm a first-generation entrepreneur, now has become an incumbent. I can hire 150 people to handle regulatory cholesterol. Small companies can't do that. So the obvious question then, is there a way out? Or will this continue to be India's economic destiny? Indians are not poor because there's a problem with Indians. Indians are poor because we're inadequately formalized, financialized, urbanized, and industrialized. And in 90 days, you could do flick of pen reforms in all of them. In one year, you could do institutional reforms. And in two years, you could do capacity building reforms. And then we would more than catch up with China's $10,000 per capita income instead of being stuck at the 2,500 we are at now. The good thing about Manish is that he's an incorrigible optimist about India. So for him, every cloud has a silver lining. The software of India is unbeatable, whether it is um, the rule of law. I think, I, I, you know, we made two experiments when we became independent. The economic experiment didn't work out. The political experiment, I think, has worked out. The difference between India and Pakistan born on the same night is three million people win an election in India. So that does create fixed costs of democracy, but that should not be our alibi. I think COVID has reminded us that um, most of our problems are pre-existing conditions. So I'm I'm amazed by how people are surprised and horrified at what happened with migrants or what happens with, uh, you know, the beat cop. But I think that um, if we get our act together and use this policy window, a lot of the compounding since 1991 is finally coming together. So there's no question that the next 25 years in India will be much more prosperous and different than the last 25 years. The optimism of entrepreneurs like Manish Sabarwal can be our inspiration, but it can't be the solution. The government has to walk the talk on ease of doing business. It is an imperative, not an option anymore. Failure to do so has consequences. For one, Indian business will never be competitive. Second, crony capitalism will thrive. This country knows the cost of corruption, lost opportunities the consequences of which are borne by the masses fired up on aspirations. Their disappointment, remember, can be politically fatal. That's all for today. Thank you for listening. You can reach me on Twitter at Capital Calculus or on Facebook and Instagram at HT Smartcast. I'll be back next week with a new episode of Capital Calculus. 
Till then, stay safe. This was a Live Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast. I'm Annie Apple, and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising April. It's the most intimate sports-related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burrow, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app.